Amen. King David is so angry. You see, he's decided to do this really good thing. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured, and now they've got it back. And he decides to bring it back to Jerusalem and back to the temple. And it's on its way back, and it's on the back of this cart. And it's beginning to teeter off the cart. And this guy named Uzzah reaches up. To, it seems like a good thing to steady the cart. And as soon as he touches it, God struck him dead. And David is so angry. He's not angry at Uzzah. He's actually angry at God. He doesn't understand why God has done this. And so today as we go to that story just for a moment, we're going to see this key word we're going to use in our new message series called Breakthrough. In chapter 13, we see it in a bad way. It's called the place of outbreak against Uzzah. You you see, God just burst out, and Uzzah ends up being dead, and David is so confused. David needs a pause to when he needs a breakthrough. And so in chapter 14, we see that David arrives at the place of breakthrough. Literally, he meets the God who breaks through. And so today, as you come here, I hope you can see this picture. This positive picture of a God who's got the power to break through whatever you're facing. Let's look at that story and let's see if we can find out what happens with King David who's so angry. Verse 8, when the Philistines heard that David was Israel's new king, they mobilized their forces to capture him. But David learned that they were on their way, so he called together his army. The Philistines were raiding the valley of Raphim. And David asked the Lord, most of our translations there would say, David inquired of the Lord, that's a good thing. That's what was missing back in chapter 13. He didn't inquire of how to move the ark. Here he inquires of the Lord. And he says, if I go out to fight them, will you give me the victory? And the Lord replied, yes, I will. So he attacked them at Baal Perazim, that's our word, and wipe them out. David exulted. God has used me to sweep away my enemies like water bursting through a dam. This is why the place has been known as Baal Perez ever since, meaning the place of breakthrough. Oh, I love David's picture of this. Show the picture of this dam, this water breaking through. That's what David says God can do. Maybe you're up against a wall, up against a barrier, and God can break through for you. Today, maybe you come here today and and, and you're stuck and you're in need of some kind of breakthrough in your life. And, And quite frankly, you don't just need a trickle of change. You need a flood of change. That's what this message series is all about. How do you have spiritual breakthrough? Let me give you a couple of definitions. First of all, in your dictionary, first definition is this, a military offensive that penetrates an enemy's lines. Enemy's got some hard lines, and you can't get through it until you have a breakthrough. Uh, This June, on June the 6th, we will celebrate the 75th anniversary of D-Day, possibly the greatest military breakthrough ever. When in a surprise attack, we were able, despite much loss, to break through the German lines And listen, that changed the course of the bloodiest war in the history of the world. And guys, we got an enemy, and we need a breakthrough. Your second definition in your dictionary would be an act of overcoming an obstacle. 
Maybe you just keep hitting the same barrier over and over. It could be something like you're trying to work a chemistry equation and you just can't get it right and you finally have that moment of breakthrough. You're trying to work on your marriage and things have been difficult and what you need is a breakthrough. Your golf score has stayed the same forever and you need that breakthrough. In medicine, we talk about breakthroughs like decades ago when the measles epidemic was devastating our country and we had a breakthrough. And for a while, measles were eradicated until some of us decided to stop taking the shots. You see, a breakthrough is something mighty that happens in your life. And today I want to talk about spiritual breakthrough. And I want to talk about what I believe to be the most major breakthrough for you and I if we're going to get past this wall we may be spiritually. And here it is. You need to believe who God says you are. If today, by the end of this worship, you can hear who God says you are, I believe you could leave this place different. Well, buddy, who are you? Well, my name is Buddy Bell. Okay, well, you've told me your name, but you hadn't told me who you are. Well, I'm the minister of the Landmark Church. In fact, if you pay close attention, the screen says I'm the lead minister of the Landmark Church. Amen? Well, what happens if you change jobs? Who are you? Well, I'm a white male, six foot one, 185 pounds. Well, that's nice, but you still haven't told me who you are. What happens if you put on weight? What happens if you stay too long in the sunshine and you're red? You still not told me who you are. Who are you? You see, we have so many ways of answering that question that really don't get to the heart of the matter. Maybe you answer that question by your profession. This is what I do. That's not who you are. Maybe you answer that question by your past. You know, years ago, I ran for that touchdown in high school. I'm 50 years old and it's still my identity. Or years ago in my first marriage, I committed adultery and sadly, that's still my identity. Or maybe it's your present struggle. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get over being so angry. I'm, I'm trying not to be depressed. And so when I think about myself, I think about myself being an angry person or a depressed person. But here's one really dangerous thing is so often we get our identity from what other people say about us. And as we're talking about other beings, let's just go ahead and throw Satan in there. Satan's the great liar's. And if he wants to keep your life away from God, the best thing you can do is lie to you about who you are. And many of us have grown up with those labels. You're beautiful, you're ugly, you're smart, you're dumb, you're athletic, you're non-athletic, you're cool, you're a geek. I mean, you can go on and on and on about all the labels that people, sometimes the most confusing is when someone who's supposed to love us the most, puts a label on us that sticks with us through life. You're the good kid. Ah, you're the bad kid. And you begin to live through that. Here's what I want you to understand. This is not on your outline, but this is a really important point. Your belief determines your behavior. Okay? What you believe about yourself will determine actually what you do. If you think you're a bad person, it'll probably lead you to bad behavior. If you think you're a good person, it'll lead you to good behavior. 
You see, often we think, okay, well, I could be a really great, if I can change my behavior, then I could change my belief about myself. And the problem is you can't change your behavior on your own. The the God-ordained order is very different. It's that listen to who God believes you are, and that's what's going to change your behavior. I love this story from sports this basketball season. Uh, Duke was behind Louisville by 23 points with 9 minutes and 58 seconds left in the game. They were losing 59 to 36. Coach K called a timeout. He brought his players to the bench, and he said this to them. Young men, I don't coach losers. I coach winners. And if you will listen to me and play hard, you will win. And one of the greatest comebacks in basketball history, they came back from 23 down to win that game. And later the players said, that was the turning point. Because here's what happened. Coach K's identity, I'm a winner became their identity as a basketball team. And my friends, what we're talking about here today is that God's identity, he wants to give it to you. We're going to see in just a moment, he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus wants to give it to us. Uh, Look at this passage on the screens, Mark chapter 1. We see this beautiful moment at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where God says, I want you to make sure you know who you are in my eyes. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Listen, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days and tempted by Satan. He was with wild angels and the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Do you see what happens here? Jesus himself is about to enter his ministry. His father knows he needs to know who he is, remember who he is. And the crowds need to understand who he is. And so God, with a voice, so everybody could hear, says, I want you guys to know, man, this is my son. I am well pleased with him. I love him. I am proud of him. And you see, that's how it happens. Let's talk a moment about listening to who God says I am. I love the song, Who You Say I Am. Here's the way it happened. You see it outlined up here. Identity is, first of all, conferred. It was conferred on Jesus. It was made official there at his baptism. I know a young father here in our church who every night we tucks his children in bed, he says to them two things, I love you and I'm proud of you. You go, that's nice. Why does he have to say it every night? Why wouldn't one time suffice? Because of the next point, your identity is challenged. My friends, as soon as Jesus came out of the water, he's led into temptation by the devil. And and, and again, God has said, this is who you are, and Satan says, nah. Henry Nouwen paraphrases it this way. Satan says to, to Jesus, prove you are the beloved. Do something. Change these stones into bread. Be sure you're famous. Jump from the temple and you will be known. Grab some power so you have real influence. 
Don't you want influence? Isn't that why you came? And I love Narlin's paraphrase of what Jesus says back. No, I don't have to prove anything to you. I am already the beloved. You see, God had conferred that identity on it and allowed Jesus to stand up in this challenge. Why? Because when you're challenged in your identity, you'll either go in one of two ways. Either your identity will be confirmed or it will be confused. Now, Jesus' identity was confirmed over and over by his father. When he faces what I believe was an even bigger temptation, when he's in the shadow of the cross, God calls him up to a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And it's on that mountain that God once again says, because Jesus is again going to be tempted to take another way, and God says to these guys audibly, this is my son whom I'm pleased with, who I love. You've got to listen to him. And guys, in our life, it's, it's not a one-time thing at your baptism. Yeah, man, you're confirmed, man. No, it's at your temptation and your trials and your challenges that, that you've got to listen to God over and over, tell you who you are. It's not a one-time deal. If not, you'll end up being confused. Like many of us at previous generations would say, those old tapes, I'm a loser, I can't do it. I mess up every time I try. They'll come back. Those old labels that were put on upon you by somebody else. Those old insecurities will come back and before long, you'll be walking in confusion. You see, the same order God wants for you. John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says, I have loved you. Let's think about this. As the fathers love me. As much as God the Father loved his perfect son, Jesus, he loves you. But he also knows you're going to be challenged. John chapter 10, 10 says the enemy, this liar, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen to me, and no one else to see this, but it happens up here. If in your mind he can convince you you're not who God thinks you are, then he can mess up your life. That's why we need it confirmed over and over again. Because here's what we do, guys. We live out of our identity. Now, this breakthrough message series for just four weeks, I'm going to give you some tools. In context today, some weapons for breakthrough. And here's the first one. It's, it's called identity triangle, okay? And this is the way God looked at Jesus and the way Jesus looks at us. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you. You see, when you live out of that triangle, you live out of this identity of security and confidence, not because of you, but because of God. And you see, you say, well, I know God did that for Jesus, but are you telling me he really did it for me? Well, listen to me closely. There's some letters in the Bible that the apostle Paul wrote. And, And in those letters, he always gets around to behavior. You need to act this way you're married. You need to treat your children this way. You need to do this and don't do that. Nice stuff. But if you ever notice, there's an order. Before Paul ever tells anybody in these letters what you ought to do and not do, he first begins by telling you who you are. Because he knows your behavior will come out of your beliefs. And he wants you to know that. Probably the best book of this is Romans, the book of Romans. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, we're going to look there in just a moment. 
If you're sort of new to Scripture on your phone, or it's uh, the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's a big book. You ought to run into it easily. But in the book of Romans, we've got some Christians that are getting confused about their identity. First of all, they're thinking about going back into sin, and they're tempted that way. And uh, in chapter 6, Paul says, you know, guys, you can't go do that. Well, why not? Don't you remember what you heard, what, was, what happened at your baptism? When you're baptized, you heard the voice of God. You're, you're loved. I'm proud of you. At your baptism, you became a new person. So Paul says, just remember that identity God gave you. And, and because of who you are, you can't do that. And then in chapter 7, Paul gets sort of confessional here. Paul says something that most of us could probably say. A lot of times what I really want to do, I end up not doing. And often the things I shouldn't do, I end up doing. In fact, Paul says, I'm a wretched man. And then he gets to chapter 8 and says, but I got to remember and you've got to remember who you are. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. How can that be true when I feel so messed up? Because that's how God looks at you because of Jesus bearing your punishment on the cross. How else does God look at you? Boy, we can look at the whole chapter. I just want to see a few verses. Verse 14, Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You're not a slave, guys. You're not a hired hand. You're a son or daughter. That's the first part of that triangle. And then he says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Guys, a key, the, a key word in the Bible, and a key description of you and I is adoption. In ancient, ancient culture, adoption was so important. In fact, when you adopted a child, it was impossible for you to disown that child. A child you gave birth to, you actually could. And even in our laws today, if any of you have been through adoption, you know it's more difficult for you to let loose of a kid you adopted than to let loose of one of your biological kids. So this is a strong word. You're adopted in Christ. And how, how intimate is it? And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Man, that's, that's just a, a Jewish kid's way of saying, Daddy. That was so radical. It's still radical for many religious people today to think you could go to God in prayer and say, Daddy. That's how sweet your adoption is. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the Holy Spirit's role is to confirm over and over who you are. And how good is it? Look at the end of the chapter, verse 37. He's talking about all the challenges of living for Jesus. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How does God look at you? He looks at you as a conqueror. He's so proud of you. And he'll never stop loving you. You don't believe that? Listen to these verses. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, yes, 
Not only did God say this to Jesus, his son, he says it to us, his sons and daughters. And my challenge for you today is to live out of this triangle. Let me show you the next triangle because too often I live off this one. Satan convinced me that I really am an orphan. I've been neglected, I've been abandoned, and I'm unloved and I'm unworthy. I mean, you know what a screwball you are, and so Satan whispers, yeah, that's who you are. What you did last week, the way you treated that person, the way you lied about that, that's exactly who you are. You think God can love you like this? And and here's what someone talked to me about after first service. Because of acts of decades ago, often we live in shame. You see, there's a difference in guilt and shame. Guilt is about something that you do and you feel guilty about. Shame is about who you are. Guilt says you should not have done that. You need to repent. Shame says this is who you are. You're a loser. You're not worthy of God's love. And so, so often, my friends, we live in this identity triangle. So I want to ask you this morning, which triangle do you live out of? Because here's our last point. You have an identity choice. You you can live as a son or daughter or you can live as an orphan. Now, just, just stay with me just for a moment here because this is big. Like I said earlier, your belief is going to determine your behavior. So let me ask you this. This would be a good way to sort of look at your life and for me to look at my life. In the last couple of weeks, which triangle have you lived out of? You see, because it would change your feelings. If you've lived the last couple of weeks as a son or daughter of God and unquestionably you know you're loved and, and God believes you're worthy, man, you're, you, you probably would feel pretty, pretty good. If you've lived out of the other triangle of God doesn't love you because of the things you've done and you're unworthy and, in fact, you've been abandoned, that leads to different feelings. It leads to different behaviors. If I believe this about myself, I'm going to be different. If I believe that I'm an orphan, man, I'm going to slouch around through life. I mean, when you walked in these doors today, you lived out of your identity. If someone in your life at some point who says, you know what, you are, you're just not good with people. You, you're, just, you're just so shy. And so some of you walked in this room today and you just sort of got in your one little place and you're afraid to speak to people because somebody told you you weren't good at it. But others of you, you've been told by somebody in your life, you know what, you are really good with people. I mean, you just have a gift of encouragement. You have the gift of making someone's day and you walked in these doors the same time, the same place and your behavior was completely different. You see, what's going to happen is out of which triangle is going to determine how you treat people. You're treating your wife and your children and your friends and people at work in a bad way. Probably you're living out of that right triangle. There's a great story I read this week. Many of you probably know about Bob Goff. He's a a lawyer. He's a humanitarian. He's a motivational speaker. If you're looking for just a great book to read, go grab one of his books. 
But his latest book I was reading just a couple nights ago, he talks about um, going on a speaking engagement to Orlando, Florida. And so he's, he's a pretty big-time important guy now in our country, so he drives up to the airport, and this limo driver picks him up. And this limo driver's just, unlike most, he says, so friendly and so engaging. And so as they rode down the, the, the road a few miles, he finally says to the limo driver, you know, this is my first time to be in Orlando. If anyone ever asked me about the people in Orlando, this is what I'd say. I'd say everyone in Orlando is just terrific. Why? It's because you're the first person I met, and this is how you've treated me. You've been such a nice guy. And then the driver began to open up to him. And the driver told him that he'd been driving as a limo driver for 25 years. He told him about his life. He told him about his living girlfriend. He told him about his children. He told him about all the important people he had met as a limo driver. And then he told Bob Goff, I'm going to retire in a month. I'm excited about that. And so Goff says to him, he says, have you ever ridden in the back of the limo? It's really pretty cool. It's spacious. You have anything you want to eat or drink. It's awesome. And the guy says, never, because if I did that, I'd be fired. And Bob Goff said, well, what do you got to lose? You're about to retire. What are they going to do, fire you? And so he convinces the guy to stop the car. The limo driver gets out, goes to the back. Bob Goff gets out and drives the car. Fifteen minutes later, they drive up to the hotel in Disney World. And this is what Goff writes. I carry medals with me all the time. They don't say anything on them. I'm a lawyer, so medals mean whatever I say they mean. I open the door, and I let my limo driver friend out from the back seat. He stood up, and he straightened his jacket. I was still wearing his hat. I pinned a medal on his chest and said, you're brave, you're courageous, you're foolhardy. Did you see the last turn I made in the limo? I spoke words of truth and affirmation to him with a smile. I patted him on the chest, gave him a hug, and walked into the hotel. Now he writes. When the limo driver went home that night to the woman he's been living with for the past 10 years, Do you think he told her he met a Christian guy that day who told him he was supposed to be married? Of course not. I bet he told her he met a guy who told him who he was. I don't live that freely, often. Why could Bob Goff live that freely? Because he knew who he was. And when you know who God says you are, then you treat people so much differently. So you've got an identity choice to make. And here's how you make the choice. Whose voice do you listen to? Guys, there there are all kinds of voices in your head telling you, you don't measure up, you can't do it, you're not good enough. That's not God. Sometimes Satan convinces us that's actually how God feels about us. But when God looks at you because the blood of Jesus, God believes that you are loved and that you're worthy. I want to ask you, which of those triangles are you living out of right now, last couple of weeks? And whose voice are you listening to? You see, there's so many examples in Scripture. The apostle Peter, when Jesus met him, you know, Peter, he's a bumbling, you know, half-hearted, I mean, just messed up all the time. And Jesus says, I'm going to call you rock. 
And everybody laughed, but Jesus kept confirming over and over, you're a rock, and he became amazing leader. You know, somebody with an identity crisis, Saul of Tarsus is a murderer of Christian. And then he becomes a Christian, and he's Paul, and he's the greatest promoter of Christianity. You think he could have lived in shame if he hadn't listened to God? Absolutely. And even today, we see people, especially young people, who live out of this knowledge of who they are. I really cannot believe I'm showing you this video, but I want to show you a a short video clip of Trevor Lawrence. He was the quarterback of Clemson's national championship team. Who did they beat? I can't remember. But let's let's watch this together. I want you to hear this 18-year-old true freshman talk about who he is. Why was this young man able to perform at the highest level on the biggest stage in college football? Because he knew football wasn't who he was. It didn't change his identity whether they won or lost. It was Jesus Christ who gave him his identity. And young people, I want to say to you, that's going to determine your future. You see, that's conserved Trevor Lawrence well. Life's not always going to go that well. He's going to have relationship issues. He's going to have financial issues. He's going to have emotional issues. He'll probably lose to Alabama next year in the national championship. I mean, I mean, he's going to have that moment where things are crashing down on him. But let me tell you, if that young man can keep that identity, he can make it through anything. And so like David this morning, maybe you need to experience a breakthrough. You know, David... Had such an amazing breakthrough there that the place was named the place of breakthrough. And what we want this church to be for you and for me this morning is we want this to be a place of breakthrough. Could this be the place today where you bust through that barrier, where you go beyond the enemy's lines and you begin to listen to the voice of God? Today, you might want to be baptized. It's such a significant moment. And I'm telling you, if you listen close enough, you're going to hear the same thing Jesus heard. Oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you. But maybe after that, Satan's come after you and he's challenged you and you're confused about your identity and you're living out of that confusion. And you need your identity to be confirmed today. In just a few moments, if you'll meet me on this front row, we will pray for you. Sometimes our identity is confirmed by God through the people of God and we'll confirm who you are before you walk out into this world. So as we prepare for that invitation, I want to ask the praise team to come up on stage. There's an awesome song that we've been singing lately. I can't get enough of it. You say. In fact, you know, at least recently I can be honest enough with you guys. I've, I've sort of been struggling a little bit lately. And this song has come to mean so much to me. I was in my house the other day all by myself, and I just listened to this song over and over again. It changed things.